We're here today with Keenan Oakle-Steiner. Keenan, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Psyched to be here. How you doing on this Friday? I'm well. It's a dress down uh, breast cancer awareness uh, day, so happy. Happy the weekend's here. It's been a long couple of weeks, but yeah, man, it's been. I mean, I'm sure with you with soccer, it's been it's been a grind. It has been a grind. Yeah, we were sad to not make the playoffs. We had we were uh, two points away from getting a spot in, but it's nice to have a little time in the afternoons for sure. So what's what was the season like for you? I guess it was first time ever coaching. You had an all star coaching staff. Yeah, my gosh. What was that like? It was a treat. It was, uh, yeah, as you said, three superhumans and super coaches with very different backgrounds and uh, sort of approaches to coaching. And I think that as a first-year coach and new to this community was such a treat to be able to watch them in action. So Matt Zeeland, Patrick Hastings, and Brooks Matthews, like, can't get better than that in yeah. terms of quality of people mm-hmm. and with soccer knowledge and, like, a an ability to recognize what the school needs and what the boys need. And I think we struggled in the beginning of the season. It was a tough, tough first half of the season with managing personalities and trying to find the right guys to be out there um, in tough moments. And I think that seeing that struggle was, for me, really a, a good learning experience because I've been on teams that have been pretty successful. And mm-hmm. so to have a losing record is not something I'm familiar with, Yeah, um, which I've been spoiled in a lot of ways in that. Um, but to have to go through that struggle and come out and we had a, like a five game run unbeaten in the middle of the season where we were really like, we hit our stride and we were doing well and the guys were bought in. And by the end, like we, I think we deserved a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think so lucky to have been exposed to some great coaching and totally different styles and also a really fun group of kids. At, and by the end who were really, really good friends, which I think we didn't really anticipate at the beginning of the season. That's good. So how'd you get into soccer anyway? That's your main sport, right? You've got tennis is kind of. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I spent some time abroad with, I followed my parents as they were teaching uh, in Switzerland actually. And I didn't, they don't have baseball. They don't have football. Like soccer was the way mm-hmm. for me to connect with people there. I didn't speak the language and, but I knew how to run around and I could play. And so I started playing when I was eight or nine at, at a pretty high level in Switzerland. And that was how I met met friends and was connected to my community and then took it seriously for whatever you whatever you can say seriously at that age. And so played for a club, um, like an academy club downtown in the, the town that I lived in, in Lugano, and loved it. And then came back to the States and played in high school and wanted to see if I could do it in college. And I was talented, but I was not Division One, top D1 talent and wanted some balance in my life too. So mm-hmm. decided to go to Middlebury, and it worked out well and loved my experience there. Yeah. Yeah, I want to talk about Middlebury a little bit. But Switzerland, so you lived there for a full year or longer? Longer. Uh, five years, actually. Really? So from when I was 8 to 13. Wow. So my parents, my parents were teachers. My um, dad was an English teacher turned administrator is now the head of school at the high school where I went in North Carolina. Um, and my mom's a psychologist. So she has worked as a school counselor, has taught, um, she's a college professor and now works for a leadership consultant firm. Um, but they were like, okay, we have, I was eight. My sister was six and a half at that point, And they, they were like, all right, let's, going on an adventure and they found this American school in Switzerland that they had uh, heard from friends was a really, really solid place and moved us there and 
put my sister and me into the public school for the first two years. So we didn't go to the American school, but went to like full Italian, no English speaking school, hmm. which was brutal for a couple months. Like it is gibberish coming at you all day long and you yeah. have no, no vocab, no ways to understand it. But with a brain that malleable at that age, it was like within two or three months I had learned Italian and was finding ways to connect. And soccer was one of those outlets of like, we can't talk, but I can smile at you when you score a goal and I can yeah. defend well. And Universal language. Exactly. Footwork and, you know, high five after you score. Exactly. I'm like, all right, we're, we're sort of friends now. I'll take it. Yeah. That's awesome. Was that, a, was that something, that, that experience of living in Switzerland for five years, that's something you look back on and, and are like, I, I'm so glad I had that experience? Because I know, you know, kids who switch schools or get shifted around a little bit, they, you know, at first it's, it's jarring. They mess up the friends and, you know, it's difficult to readjust. Yeah. Is that something that was great for you? Totally. I think in the moment it was terrible and I felt I identified as an American who was displaced in a lot of ways. I think my sister who was a little bit younger, she identified more with that Swiss identity because at that point in her life, it was the majority of her life had been spent there or yeah, about even. And so I was like, especially because we were in the Italian school, like, Oh, I want to go back. And we'd go back, we'd come back to the States in the summer and we have no school and my friends are hanging out and it is summer camp essentially. So it didn't. It wasn't like what life is actually like during the year. It was this hyper fun version in the summers. Mm-hmm. So I think when I was there, I was like, ah, oh, this is hard. By the end of my experience there, when I had grown up a little bit, I was. I saw that I had the perspective to see how great, how lucky I was to to have been there. But, and I think now looking back on it, it is such a formative piece of who I am in terms of like connecting, using sport to connect, like language and language learning and creating community around that stuff, like. It started then. Yeah. And so I'm so grateful for that period. But when I was there, I was like, get me out of here. I want to go home. Um, yeah. I always um, I always think that I would have been such a better Spanish speaker because I wasn't very into Spanish growing up. I took okay. it every year, and it was like – it was one of those classes. I, I think I did pretty well in it, but I went to the classroom and kind of screwed around with my friends. And, like, I didn't realize how important languages would become for me when I want to travel. Like, I go to Spain, and now I, you know, look back on my Spanish career in high school, and I'm like, I wish I paid a little bit more attention. But you had the immersive experience at a pretty young age to learn Italian. Right. And that, I mean, I'm sure that inspired you to learn more languages and how important language can be. Definitely. Yeah, I think being able to, to absorb it in that way, I think, one, changed my brain chemistry a little bit and towards learning how to learn language, but also I was able to, like I did it. And I think that that knowledge that I can overcome has helped me try to tackle other languages. Like I know it's difficult. It doesn't make sense. The structures don't align. But like if I did that, like I can I can sort this out pretty easily. So when did you learn Spanish? When did that come in? So when, we, when I came back, I was in eighth grade, repeated eighth grade because I was young for my class. And started Spanish because obviously there's no Italian in, in my high school. And the jump was pretty easy. Like the romance languages are so similar. It was confusing in the beginning because I was just speaking Italian in Spanish class. But mm-hmm. knew that I, I loved it and knew that I was good at it. And so started just taking classes. And guys on my soccer team and guys in my people in my community that I knew were Spanish speaking. And it felt like the most accessible way, an important language that I could study in my life at that time. Mm-hmm. 
And how did you know, so did you major in Spanish in college? I did. So I majored in international politics and economics and Spanish. So I doubled. Oh, um, Yeah. So like I loved that piece. Middlebury is a liberal arts school. So you kind of get a, you get a dip, dip your toe in a lot of things. And I knew I wanted to, their language programs are very strong, um, but also I'm interested in current events and the political economy and um, so loved those classes as well. I got to write a lot, got to read some really interesting stuff. Did you ever run into Michael Katz at Middlebury? I didn't. Russian translator. Sounds familiar though. I don't know. I think he was I... in charge of the language programs for, for a while. Oh, nice. But I know him through Breadloaf and... I, he's been on the podcast. He's translated like all the major Russian novels, like A- Anna awesome. Karenina and Brothers Karamazov, Crime and Punishment. Wow! And he's working on this uh, uh, Leo Tolstoy book for little kids, oh, like short God. stories yeah, of yeah. Leo Tolstoy for little kids. And I told him this summer, I was like, I do cartoons and illustrations. Yeah. And he wants me to do some cartoons for his for his book. That is so cool. But I've been I've been so busy. I've been MIA on him a little bit. Fair. I need to. I need to doodle some, got uh, some stuff going on, I guess, <laughs> things in your life. Really interesting guy, Middlebury professor. and I'm sure. Um, As you know, the, the Middlebury people, you ask them one question about something and you learn like that they are involved in so many different things and so talented in those ways. Yeah. That is a cool connection. So, so tell me a little bit about your experience undergrad at Middlebury because I'm up there in the summer. I love it. It's right. beautiful. You know, my, my parents came up last summer and were like, there's not much to do up here, which is totally fair. But for so people fair. who, you know, like reading and like the outdoors and I'm sure you get into skiing when you're up there. Right. What was your undergrad like there? Totally. It, it's a total choice to be in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of people. Um, yeah, I loved it. I think the the things I think of a lot of the older guys, juniors and seniors at Gilman now who are being told about how great college is. A lot of that is true, and it's not true right away. So I, I got there, and I was like, whoa, this is in the middle of nowhere. I don't know if these are my people. Mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm doing. And I think giving yourself that patience and that uh, a couple of weeks, three, four, five weeks to be like, okay, I'm not settled yet. I don't forgot how to make friends. Like my best high school friends are not here. I got to sort, sort all this out. I was also settling into a soccer team of guys like who are now my brothers, but who then I was like, What's the dynamic here? I don't know if I'm going to play. I don't know how this is going to go. Um, but then fell in love. Like, I loved it. I loved the soccer piece. I was very busy in the falls, as you know, as a college athlete. Like, you have no time during when you're in season. And then we actually got a, an off season, which was really nice. So, as you said, was skiing a lot, was outdoors all the time. And I think the people that Middlebury attracts are people who have that sort of mindset of, like, can I – do go hard at school, going to try, going to do my readings, going to do well, and then I'm going to go and have an adventure on the weekends and in the afternoons and in the early mornings. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think I, I kind of fell in love with Vermont in that way. I could go have class, two classes in the morning, take a bus or take a car 25 minutes to the snow bowl, ski six laps for 100 bucks a season. Like, what kind of steel is that? Oh, nice. And go back and have dinner on campus. Like, that is a dreamy lifestyle if that is what you love and that is what I came to love. Yeah. If you're looking for a big a big party school or mm-hmm. a big city life, you will not find it at Middlebury. There are two bars in town and not <laughs> a lot going on. But yeah. Two coffee shops, two pretty yeah. good coffee shops. Right. 
yeah, they have to be high quality because they're the only ones. Expensive, so. but good. Right, right. Nice. Um, what was it like coming in with a soccer team already? Because I always say, you know, to my senior class or to any of the seniors, my advisees, that it was it was nice for me because I had a set of friends automatically built in. You know, I've got right. 50 friends already. And for you, you were probably there a little bit early, so you've got the lay of the land and you've got a whole team. But for everyone else, it's like you got to meet people and you've got to figure out how to introduce yourself to people. And, you know, it takes a little bit more for the regular student who's coming in and, and doesn't have the attachment of the sports program, I think. Yeah, totally. I Yeah, we so we got there two and a half, three weeks before everyone else got there. So that, as you say, that built-in group of friends is so valuable and it's such a lucky thing to have. I think one, because you already have social connections, you have this shared goal of doing really well, you have an objective that you're doing together and also guys to lean on who give you the unspoken rules of campus. They tell you which professors to take, which to avoid, Mm -hmm. where to hang out on campus. You have access to most freshmen at college campuses live in dorms and people on teams have houses, have spaces to be in on a weekend. So that, I mean, that is such a blessing when you come in to have that built-in network. I think it's also the flip side of that is it's hard because you came from being the guy in high school, like the best players on your team, to being one of everyone who, like among people who are as talented, if not more talented than you are. Mm -hmm. And so a bit of an ego check when you get there to be like, oh, okay, these guys are good. And we're fighting for spots. We're fighting for playing time. And I love them. Like, these are my brothers. So mm-hmm. balancing those relationships while recognizing that you got to humble yourself a little bit when you get there is, is hard. But I think for, yeah, for the, for the normal student, for the non-athlete student, like, it's not easy to, to make friends again. I feel like the, the first few weeks of college, it was like, hi, how are you? What's yeah. your name? Where, Where you do from? you live? Where are you from? Like, what do you like doing? And you have, like, hundreds of those conversations with people that you might never hang out with again. Yep. Um, but just sorting that out and, yeah, finding people to connect with um, is hard. But I think one of the advantages of a place like Vermont and Middlebury is you just go do stuff and the friendships sort themselves out. I think the biggest piece of advice that I took from parents and friends was like, say yes to things. Like, get to know people. If it doesn't, you do not have to be friends forever. But in the first weeks, like, do not sit and wait for friendships to happen. Like say yes, go try stuff, go do stuff together and then see how it, how it works out. Um, and that was something that helped me. And I th- feel like I was someone who connected and made friends and was close with people who were outside my team, Yeah, which I think is harder to do as an athlete because of schedules and because of you have this built-in group of friends. But I think there are so many brilliant people wherever you go to college who are outside that immediate circle and like, it's a wasted opportunity if you don't meet them and spend time with them because the world is bigger than that, that team. Totally. I really like that advice because that's, you know, my favorite part of freshman year and freshman year is my favorite year. It's because everyone was in the same place and you eat in the same dining hall and you can kind of just sit down next to someone and get to know them. And they're from, you know, all over the place and have totally different backgrounds. And I think at some schools you get stuck with, oh, it's the football team. They just roll around together and they don't talk to anyone else. And, you know, and, and that's so easy 
because again, comfort and you feel like these are your friends and you're all set. You've got football team, you've got, you know, 90 friends already. So you don't really need to branch out too much. And I think right. you're right. That's wasted opportunity to meet other people. Oh yeah. And they're like the, some of the coolest, most interesting people I met were not on my team. And I love, I love my teammates, but like we, because of soccer, because of where, what we wanted to do in college, like we have similar lives um, in a lot of ways. And the people who I was got to know had came to Middlebury from very different places and literally and also figuratively like they are they approach the Middlebury life in a different way than I do which is what was valuable for me to see mm -hmm. did you ever do um any trips up to Montreal it's something I haven't done yet and I really want to go yeah. to Montreal you totally should we yeah. did we did I think like one a year we would go up um a bunch of us and rent an Airbnb and uh hang out in the city and it's it's gorgeous there it's freezing if you go any time in the winter um, but it is like a little European city in a lot of ways. Um, so yeah, I would recommend it. You should definitely make it happen in the summertime, especially yeah, it's everybody's so outside. It's beautiful. And yeah, the people are, yeah, it's, it's cool to drive two hours from the States and people don't really speak English and it's French speaking. And how's your French? Um, not great. No. I can understand some just because that was like when we were in Switzerland, that was the language that they were teaching students beyond Italian. Mm -hmm. And that was like so far down on the on, on the list of necessary things for me. I was like, I need to understand what the teacher's saying at all. Like, I'm not learning French now. Um, but with the Romance languages, it's fairly easy to understand some. I can't really produce. Do you um do you have ap aspirations to learn more languages? Like, are you on Duolingo? Like, trying to like I I respect Zeeland because he's making up French and he's trying to expand his horizons a little bit. I'd love to do that. You know, and it's so easy now with Duolingo and these apps and programs that you can just sign up for. Yeah. You just have to invest. Yeah. No, I, I do have aspirations. And shout out to Mr. Zeeland because he is, he might be on like a 90, 100 day streak of Duolingo doing French and is teaching a French class now. And yeah, it's inspiring to see how he's, he's trying to make that happen. And yeah, I, so I actually, before I came to Gilman, I graduated in February and spent some time living in Poland, actually. So I learned a little bit of Polish um, this last spring, I guess. A lot of it's gone away since I came back to the States, but it was a, that was a fun challenge of like, this language is not related to anything that I know. They use way too many consonants. There's not, a lot, not enough vowels. Um, but yeah, I, was, I tried to learn a bit and, and could get by, but so, so tell me about that experience because we haven't talked about that. And, and what was that? Why were you living in Poland? Yeah. What was it like over there? Great Where question. exactly were you? So I lived in Warsaw for three months. Um, I took some time off during college to avoid uh, going to college during COVID. And so tacked that on to, uh, so I had an extra fall in Middlebury and graduated at the mid-year point. And then was... I uh, knew that I was coming to Gilman and was trying to figure out what I would do during those four and a half months before I had to be in Philadelphia for um, grad school work. And I knew I could go home and work or I could do some travel, um, but wanted to have a really an interesting experience and a learning experience uh, for me and also add, add value to the world in some way. So I was connected to this, uh, this guy who works uh, for an educational nonprofit in Poland um, and they started doing, uh, started creating these kindergartens in rural Poland to 
bridge the gap, the educational gap between the, uh, the urban and rural uh, populations in Poland. And then when the war in Ukraine broke out, they uh, pivoted to start welcoming and creating Ukrainian kindergartens and preschools for uh, refugees from the war who were moving into Warsaw. So incredible work, incredible people. Like, obviously, the kids are need this education. It's mostly mothers and children who are immigrating from Ukraine because uh, men over the age of 18 are required by law to stay um, and fight. And so there are all, all of these mothers and kids who are coming to, to Warsaw. The mothers can't work because they have to take care of their kids during the day, so they're not able to sort of be integrated into the Polish society and find incomes. Um, and the kids, developmentally, after COVID and then the war hits, they are so behind already, needed some, uh, yeah, some care-based education, and this organization was positioned to do it, and they started doing it. And so I was, my role was as a grant writer. They needed an English-speaking grant writer because they, they are, are, it's a nonprofit organization. They need funds to support the paying these, uh, the teachers and, and finding the actual physical locations for these centers. And so my job was to write, I wrote two grants to the European Union actually to get $2 million in funding to their organization and uh, other partner organizations across Eastern Europe who were housing and, and supporting these refugees. Wow. Um, yeah, so really important and heavy work. Um, and I got to help set up some centers and we'd go to Ikea and build, uh, huh. build some stuff that were actually like for new centers that were being opened. But to see the, the rally in Poland around um, supporting the Ukrainians who were displaced was pretty remarkable. And, and Poland is right next to Ukraine. Shares right? a border, right. Shares so a border. We, Warsaw is pretty central in the country, but we had centers that were along the Ukrainian-Polish border that were at some points had to like shelter in place because of, of activities in the war that were happening. Wow, that's really interesting. So you had no idea you were going to be involved in in this when you were when you signed up for this no well i knew that i knew that it was it was related to the the war in ukraine and i knew that they had pivoted and they were looking for someone who could write english language grants i'd never done anything like that so i had to learn a lot on the spot and the, the european union was asking for pretty specific things to to provide so i was essentially learning how to do that at, on the job but um the the idea of grant writing is essentially storytelling with with data to back it and so our goal was to say like here is here are the reasons the core reasons that this should be funded like children are are being delayed developmentally because they don't have access to education mothers are unable to work and secure income they can't integrate into polish society they don't know when they're going to return this solves that problem in three different ways we're employing ukrainians to teach so we're giving them income mothers are able to work and secure income kids are developing um, educationally and hopefully they're integrating into society because they don't know how long they'll be there. Mm -hmm. Man, that's really cool. Were you working with other Americans on, on this, I'm sure? So actually just my boss was American okay. and he was the one who hired me. And, um, uh, but everyone else is either Ukrainian or Polish and varying levels of English uh, in the office. So there it's maybe a 25 person office and the American and two others were, are fluent in English. Everyone else, it was sort of learning to communicate again. And so that experience yeah. in Switzerland, I was able to sort of find ways and then tried to do Duolingo to learn it. But Wow. 
In three months. In three months. And I, but like I, my Polish was not, not anywhere by the end, but I could, I could order at a restaurant. I could ask for the bathroom. I could get by. That's really cool, store. man. That's, uh, that's unique. That's awesome. Good for you. It felt like a lucky experience. And yeah, definitely perspective changing. Like my problems are none relative to people who are displaced yeah. by war. And obviously with the stuff that's going on today, it's, yeah, I have some better perspective than I did before about that stuff. Yeah, that is, that's awesome. Good for you. Uh, what was Warsaw? Was it a pretty cool city? It's a really cool city. I think I had some preconceptions about what... Uh, I know nothing about Warsaw. I didn't either before I went. It's uh, it's actually very hip, very green. The hmm. winters get tough and cold, um, but there are some beautiful parks. I lived... There's a the Bovishle River that runs through the, the city, um, and I lived in a cool neighborhood. Something that surprised... There's a lot of vegan food in, in Warsaw, hmm. something I did not anticipate... Um, but some really like I I don't I'm not vegan, um, but I would go because the food is is so good that it was worth it. And it's a really cheap city, which was nice. I was on a small stipend, but I could afford to to live. It's like three dollar three dollar lunches and six dollar dinners and nice life. Yeah, so it made it made it easy to live there. Um, and met some really really great people, obviously through the work, and then was connected to their friends um, who are doing awesome stuff and also just yeah living a good life out there. So. That's awesome. And then you, right after that, you're at Gilman. Right after that, yeah. Or you're at Penn. You're at the Penn program. At Penn, and then, yeah, moved moved to Gilman in August, um, or moved to Baltimore in August, and started up with uh, with the JV soccer preseason. That's awesome. So first time in Baltimore, right? You'd never really been here or spent time here before. Yeah, I'd been for a, a funeral service once, but that is, yeah, that's all. Yeah, I remember my first couple of years in Baltimore. It was just an interesting, like, you know, reset because I was used to obviously like college coming right from college and, you know, living a little bit outside of the city. You've kind of got to make new friends here, which is, which is good. I mean, I I always say that to other people. Like I'm glad that I lived in Baltimore right after college because it forced me to, you know, become more independent, right? You don't have this team to rely on. You don't have your preconceived friends that you have already established in college. You don't have your home friends. You've got to go off on your own and figure things out and take stock in your new job and explore the city a little bit. It's a, it's an interesting experience. hundred percent. Yeah. Where, whereas like New York city, you just hang out with the people that you right. went to school with. Right. Yeah. No, I have almost all of my closest friends from college are in New York city. And I think that there was a draw of that, of going there and continuing sort of the college lifestyle for another couple of years. Um, that's not me. I, yeah, New York does not appeal as as it does for my friends to me, and you're totally right that it's a it's a bit of a reset. It's like the start of college again. You are figuring out how to make friends. You're figuring out the balances that you need to take in your life. I'm exploring new neighborhoods, um, but I've loved it. It's yeah, kind of like Warsaw, like much much greener city, lot lot of parks that I've loved to love to spend time in. Fun little pockets. I live in Hamden. I love the avenue down there. Mm-hmm. Spent time by the water. There are some sweet neighborhoods there. But, yeah, I think still still discovering. But it feels like in a two-year fellowship, by the end of my two years, I'll have a pretty good idea of the, the city and, and the parts that I love and the parts that I don't. And so I think, yeah, that exploration has been fun for me. Have you enjoyed the Penn program so far? I remember um, one of my favorite things about the Penn program was those weekends and the weeks at Penn where you're just meeting – 
like awesome teachers and mentors from other schools and, you know, establishing connections and just learning from other people who have been teaching for teaching and coaching for so long. Totally. That, that we were just, I guess, a couple of weekends ago in New York at uh, Riverdale Country School for one of those weekends where it's jam packed, as you remember, with like content classes, activities. Um, but I think the best part is the community and like, we have, I think there are 16 of us in our year's co- cohort, and we are clo- very close, love hanging out with each other. We, like, talk when we're not together, and we share stories, and we got to talk about sort of the struggles and the successes of each other's uh, each other's last couple of months, which is really nice to have a community of young educators. Um, not that I don't I don't connect with the uh, more senior people in, in at Gilman or beyond, but to have someone who is also out of college and also going through this for the first time and who understands sort of the the same like trying to find community in a new place and trying to settle into a school culture that is really really great to have and obviously it's high level content and people are really smart and and forward thinking at Penn Mm -hmm. but I think what I've valued most has been that those connections. It is interesting too how other schools the Penn fellows at other schools aren't on the same like model as right. you are at Gilman. So like you're teaching, are you teaching two or one teaching class? Teaching two, yeah. Teaching two. Some people have, haven't even taught yet and they're right. just observing this year. And some people, you know, teach a 30-minute class every other day and we teach 80-minute classes. Right. So I always found that structure and the differences pretty fascinating. Totally, totally. And that, I think even relationships that uh, the other teachers have with their mentors varies a lot. Like I have an amazing relationship with, with Matt Zeeland and we he gives me feedback all the time and I sort of respond when I can. And, um, like I get to observe him and get to observe other teachers, but I know that at some schools, like the, the mentors are sort of out of the picture and they're left on their own or their the feedback isn't helpful or, or direct. And so like, I don't know, it makes me feel grateful that, or they don't like their mentor right, or they, right. you know, they got in a fight. And I was like, I'm chilling with Brian Ledger. He's, yeah. he's awesome. He's giving me good feedback. Agreed. I think everyone involved in the pen program at Gilman is all stars. So yeah, from Beth and Matt and to Matt and, um, yeah, the other, other older mentors, it's, it's an all-star crew, which is relieving because I know there are some horror stories from other places. Yeah. Good stuff. All right, we're at 30 minutes. Let's get to the book, Wreck. Yeah. What did you choose? So I read, I thought about a book that my grandmother actually recommended I read called The Overstory. Um, I think it's by Richard Powers. It's, uh, it's a book about, like, the power of trees. So it's, like, six, five or six different narratives that are sort of concentric. But um, I don't know. Their, their through line is that, about like the beauty and the power and the scope of nature, specifically trees. And I'm not, it's atypical for me to read a book, like a fiction book of that genre. Like I love a nonfiction read, a memoir type read. Um, But I really, really love this book. It's beautifully written. It's powerful. The language used is great. And I think as like an aspiring environmentalist, I'm not, I don't, don't want to, yeah, pretend I'm anyone I'm not, but like, it was a an important like reminder of the power of our planet and yeah just beautifully written and some really interesting narratives throughout that and i love books that have those separate separate stories that then collide in the end um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i'd totally recommend it. it that book i read the first couple chapters of it really gives you a sense right from the beginning that trees are 
living things and are intelligent beings and yeah you know they have an energy to them that maybe you don't remember as you're walking around yeah totally and that like yeah they are sort of these microcosms of what our world is and they yeah represent a lot and i think the language in the beginning turns some people off it's very flowery and descriptive and Mm -hmm. um but i would recommend sticking with it because i think after those first few chapters like narrative takes over and it becomes this really powerful story about people's lives and triumphs and failures that then come back to the the tree so it's told from different perspectives with like trees being kind of the central yeah yeah so it's like i think it's four stories that start unrelated to each other and then eventually meld together um but yes the one like one of the stories is an environmentalist who like starts protesting and doing all of this environmental work others are like a video game creator who creates this world that's built based on nature um but i think it it jumps back and forth between that sort of environmental perspective and these really interesting narratives about like that are re- like relatable as a reader around the the struggles of life um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd recommend. I think it won the Pulitzer, and it's yeah. Well, my my grandmother is like she knows her stuff, and she was like, "Keenan, check this out." So. You do learn a lot about trees and the different species of trees, and right. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, you've got to be amazing. Like, you've got to have a special mind to write a book with a narrative, flowery language, and about the environment right. and trees and the power of nature. Yeah, that doesn't feel like a textbook, but feels like. Yeah, a really beautiful portrait of of life. But yeah. So the last question, um, I know that you're doing the portrait of a learner assignment. Is I that am. coming up? It is. Yeah. What is, yeah. That, what is that project, and what what does it look like for you? Yeah. So it's. Um, I think I haven't really dived into it yet, but it's it's coming up in the next couple of weeks. But we are working on um, telling sort of the story of one learner at Gilman. So someone that I don't teach or coach or have like advise, I'm sort of shadowing, uh, Matt Zeeland in his advisory. Um, so someone I haven't spent time with or known and getting what their day in the life, week in the life, sort of their experience at Gilman is like based on their identities, their interests and that, that sort of thing. And so I think it's a really cool exploration of how, like my Gilman is different from your Gilman is different from the Gilman of someone who identifies differently than we do in some ways. Um, and yeah, I, I am excited to get started on that. I haven't had a chance to pick my, uh, my subject yet, but mm-hmm. yeah, I would love any, if you have recommendations of someone who might be an interesting, an interesting, uh, learner, that could be fun. Yeah. That was one project from the pen program that I always really liked because I don't know, it helped me as a first year at, at the school, just, it helped me get into the mind of the student when that was not my focus when right. I was teaching. I was just trying to get through the class and, you know, make sure I had my print, my papers printed and my right. PowerPoint or whatever I was doing that day and make sure people talked in my class. Yeah, yeah. But actually sitting and watching, you know, from the child's perspective, that's, right. a, that's a cool – I wonder, can you do – do you have to do a high school student? Can you do a lower school that's student? That's a good question. I, I probably could do a lower school student. It might be – yeah, that could be an interesting, an interesting angle to take. But I, I do, I totally agree. Like it's, it does feel a little bit in year one, like just trying to stay afloat and not really, I relate to my kids as much as I can, but knowing how they experience my class and other classes will be a, a good, like 
observational strategy to get better at teaching. And I always say that my first year was so difficult for me. I mean, it was it was fine, but it was difficult because I had students from Bryn Mawr, Roland Park, and Gilman in the right. same room. Right. And, you know, just managing all those per- – that's, that's tough, managing the personalities, managing the different school – the stereotypes in the room, the learning styles, the accommodations. It was it was a tough yeah. year one for I me. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, I commend Will Lamb, the other fellow who is who both of his classes are coordinated. I I feel lucky to have uh, boy Gilman boys only just as like the setting the standard and establishing my identity as a teacher and then hopefully I'll at some point have coordinated classes. But yeah, he's crushing it and I know it's not easy to to manage all of that. So you think eventually you want to move on from Spanish or st- keep Spanish and do something else too? Yeah, I mean, I would be excited by opportunities to do other stuff. I think uh, like your your seminar on sort of character and leadership development is so appealing, that kind of class where seniors who it's not necessarily, it's based in, in academia and based in literature, but it's more about life skills. That appeals a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, the history econ angle too is appealing, but I, I love Spanish and I want to, I have a lot of growing to do in terms of content sometimes. Like I want to learn more about that world um, so that I can bring that to the to the boys. Um, but yeah, excited to potentially explore what other avenues there are. Cool, man. Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, spending time today. Looking thank forward you. to our trip to Chicago next weekend. Yes, sir. Should, should be, be fun. Should be awesome. Have a good weekend. You too. Thanks. Thanks.